Acorns automatically invests your spare change and lets you invest as little as $5 anytime or on a recurring basis into a portfolio of ETFs. Your investments are then diversified across more than 7,000 stocks and bonds and automatically rebalanced when the market fluctuates. Save for the future and invest with Acorns. Once the show is on demand, click the Acorn link within the description of this broadcast and start saving. Warning, Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. God-fearing woman. Hmm? I don't suspect God has much business out here. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Weird West Radio on Rain Man Digital, where we discuss the Western film genre, whether it be weird or traditional. You name it, we're going to do it. And today, we are going to be talking about a movie the 2019 supernatural horror western flick, The Wind. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm here in the same saddle with Clint Felton. Hello, Clint. It's just because it's scary. We talked yeah. This one's yeah. a little scary, so it's not anything other than that. We just want to make sure we're okay. I just need someone to hold me for, for a little while. Yeah, I guess I didn't just, even need the movie for that. Yeah, oh. Oh. I'm just I'm frightened. Oh, now, no, that that was gross. Yeah, that was gross. <laughs> it, oh, I pushed the limit. If I need some consoling, then that's okay. Right. But if you're just you know trying to sit on the same saddle with me just because, Clint, then we have we're gonna have we're gonna have some issues. It's been we're five years. You think it'd be okay? No, it's not. Okay, only when I'm scared. Okay, I've told you only when I'm scared. Boo. <laughs> All right, so as I said, we're going to be talking about the supernatural western The Wind, directed by Emma Tammy. Uh, Comes in at a running time of an hour and 26 minutes. The budget has not been released to the mainstream. Uh, Typically, that is the case with these smaller films, just because there isn't uh, a a desire for, you know, a lot of people aren't as curious as, say, I am. Because I will say right now that I enjoyed this movie and the first thing I wanted to see was the budget. I'm like, okay, how did they do this nice little Western, you know, for how much money? I need to know. Right. But unfortunately, that information was not released. The synopsis, a plains woman faces the harshness and isolation of the untamed land in the Western frontier of the late 1800s. 
Now, the wind is a 2018 American supernatural Western horror film. That's how it's categorized, directed by Emma Tammy in her directorial debut. Uh, the film was written by Teresa Sutherland, and it stars Caitlin Gerard, Ashley Zuckerman, Julia Goldini Tellis, and Miles Anderson. The film was executive produced by Adam Hendricks and Greg Gilreath uh, through their Divide and Conquer banner, along with John H. Lang. So this movie premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival Festival almost a year ago, September 10th, 2018. You and I were talking about it back then as well, Clint. I don't know if you remember, but we've been previewing this movie, I guess, for quite some time. I know we discussed it on a couple update shows. And, and of course, off the air, you and I were talking about it. And we were very curious about what this film could end up meaning or being for the Weird West genre. Now, I was not sure what to expect from this film. I had some thoughts. I had some hopes. I had figured it would be more of an art film due to its festival premiere and the limited platform style release. But other than that, the trailer did the trick all by itself. It got me intrigued without giving away too much. That's how you do a fucking trailer, by the Mm -hmm. way. So outside of that, again, I was not sure what to expect. I will say this. What we did get was most welcomed. Uh, This movie will not be for everyone. I'm just going to say that right away because I know, Clint, our audience is kind of 50-50. We have a good, strong presence of both weird West enthusiasts and traditional Western enthusiasts. So I have to always say that, like, this movie will not please everybody. In fact, much of the reviews reflect this as well. The, The mainstream reviews have already been out there, and it seems like, again, split right down the middle. Uh, the expected outlets like Sci-Fi Channel and Nerdist, of course, they dislike it. The mainstream, well, and then the expected outlets like Variety and you know filmmaker websites and blogs are loving it. Sure, what we get, and I'm really anxious to find out what you think about this. But what we get is a smart psychological thriller doused with a bit of horror and the supernatural uh, the occult aspects is honestly some of my favorite parts of the film because of how they were used <laughs> when i was watching that's the first thing i picked up i was like this is what he's gonna love oh yeah they pulled you up know the bible me. and those uh uh those the leaflets those, the leaflet and i went yeah oh mike's hooked oh yeah Oh, dude, I was in it. The moment I realized what we were watching, I'm like, holy shit, this is my type of thing. <laughs> but I just I loved the way the way it worked. It wasn't just because it was my my the usual go to's that I like in terms of, I guess, set pieces or design, but also just the way the film, the various occult aspects and how they were dropped. They were used to sow seeds of suspense and doubt. This is one of those films that is interpretive. I think we can both agree on that, Clint. It's designed to be that way. Mm -hmm. Many people will draw their own conclusions. But that being said, it doesn't lack conviction. I know sometimes when you get those films that are interpretive and the director (laughs) says, well, you guys interpret your own ending. A lot of times I feel like they're being overly pretentious, the director, and they don't even know the ending. Whereas with this film, I don't feel like Emma, uh, Emma Tammy was lost i don't think she was 
I don't think she had any issues of conviction. It does commit. I feel like she definitely knows her ending. Even if it's interpretive, the director knows the answer. And that much is clear. And that's what I can tell when you watch a movie like this. You can usually tell if you know what to look for. Does the does the director even know <laughs> what the answers are in this movie? What really happened? And I feel like it's very clear. And she kind of gives it to you. She kind of gives you the answers. But you have to look for it within the M imagery because again uh director emma tammy does give you enough to know what's going on which we will get into that bit a little bit later towards the end of the show when we put our heads together clint and we see if we can agree on whether or not this film is or can be considered a true weird west sure sure because there's a lot to dissect when it comes to this film but first before we get into all of that I am dying to hear your initial thoughts, Clint. Well, you know, first off, being her first, Emma Tammy's first directorial debut, mm -hmm. fantastic. Right. I mean, I'm yeah. just going to say that right off the bat because I actually forgot about this film. I mean, we talked about it, but it was one of those that came up and I was on our on our list and I was like, gosh, I don't really remember it. and. Then I saw, like, I watched the trailer and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we saw this and it's, it's looks intriguing. Mm -hmm. When I got into the film, I, I was like, okay, this is cool. They're, they're all by themselves. It's obviously like almost a vacant wasteland where they're at. Yeah. Except yeah. for the one cabin way out. And that's, I love that part. The, of trying to you you see the distance between them the the two cabins of just yeah. the little light love that um well it came it, in handy for some fear tactics as well oh, much later did it and so then you know we get into this film and you there's little again i think if i would watch this again i might get something else out of it too right yeah. it, i think it's one of those where if you would pick it up again like you probably i know you got the supernatural part of it and I kind of was just kind of a, a horror fanboy Western guy watching it. Yeah. And, but I dug it. I, I thought it was uh, really smart. I, you know, just really only having what, uh, five, six characters throughout the whole thing. That's about never, it. Yeah. Never got boring. And that's the part I like about it. It never got boring. There was parts of it where you needed it to be slow and quiet and that eerie feeling. And, uh, I mean, from the beginning to the end, I never just went, ah, so I yeah. really got it. I, by the time I was done with, with this one, I was like, I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. I'm so glad. Okay. You can now sit on the same saddle with me, Clint. You can, <laughs> I don't have to be afraid uh, because man, I was a little nervous because these are the types of movies where I'm there. There are certain movies you and I discussed that I know we're both going to like. And then there's those ones where I'm like, you know what? I just, I'm not sure if he's going to appreciate what they did. <laughs> and uh, I love that you said specifically, it is not boring because some of the negative reviews I see out there is that there is that there were huge pacing issues. And I mm. completely disagree. I feel like the pacing is on par with the story itself. It actually helps with the actual story and the surrealistic aspect of 
the overall film or the narrative. And we're going to get into that towards the end of the show because I have my own interpretation and I am I want to get your take on it, on my interpretation and see where you're at, um, because I kind of already can tell where you're at based on some messages you posted in our group page or in our private messages of where you feel this movie ends. And I watched it <laughs> which, twice. Which, 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 which one did you, did you think? Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, all right. So everything about this movie worked for me. I heard complaints, as I said, about pacing. It seems like the traditionalists didn't care for the movie all that much. Uh, the pacing for me worked, but I do understand. I do that people had issues because the narrative's progression was not what most are used to. The nonlinear narrative combined with the the vision sequences, I guess we can call them, it did throw the audience off a bit, but it was not accidental, nor was it the work of an amateur. It sure. was purposeful. Now, if you if I got the the vibe that Emma Tammy's pacing and these issues with with uh with the narrative's progression then i would be like if i got the vibe that she was having issues that she was having problems writing or, or directing the script and and actually working with the pacing you would come through you'd be like yeah there were some issues it was sure. clunky but it was never once clunky the choices with pacing was intentional you can't really say hey those are poor pacing problems or those are pacing issues who are you to say that you're not the director now if the director didn't know what they're doing and the editor also didn't know what they were doing and suddenly you're like you know what this movie is just it just it just doesn't work that you can usually tell the the keen eye the person that knows what to look for can usually decide or decipher is it a directing is it a director's prerogative or is it a true issue with the overall movie. And in this case, it's, it's just not. But when you talk about like the pacing and people find it kind of boring, is, you know, for me, when I was watching it, I felt like they were showing the, the 1800s, the, the, this empty spot on the earth. The mundane, lonely life on the right. prairie. Yeah. And that's yes. how I felt that they were trying to portray that. Yes. it at, at few, There's a few moments there where you're like, Come on, but just play you, with your dick. If, if you if you get bored, just <laughs> just tickle your balls a little bit and get through those thirty seconds. All right, right, people. Yep, yep. And so that's what I kind of felt like they were trying to help us out there. Is that and that's why you can interpret it different ways. Yes, and again, Clint, you're spot on because they were trying to show the lifestyle, and if you didn't set the scene in that way, if you didn't convey the idea that they're isolated that they live or i should say lizzie lives a, a rather lonely boring mundane life then the movie itself the purpose of the movie wouldn't have worked right I agree. It just you had to set it up the way you did and uh this just takes us right into the directing. So let's just jump right into it. I feel like Emma Tammy was trying to immerse the audience and make them feel a bit off kilter like our character Lizzie through various choices. In order for us to relate to her state of confusion, and I guess you can even say psychosis possibly, we needed to be immersed. Plus, within that immersion, 
is when we can start to understand what is really happening in this movie. What's really happening to our characters, Lizzie and Emma. And that, along with various clues dropped throughout the film, we understand the story as writer Teresa Sutherland had intended. Uh, So the so-called pacing issues aren't issues. They're creative choices that I feel helped me understand the story better. And that includes those elements that would help with the interpretive side of the film. Was this a psychotic break brought on by jealousy, isolation, or was there a demonic influence? And as I said earlier, Tammy gave us clues. I believe the answers are given when you take into account the uh, framing, uh, production design, all those key visual and auditory moments that help the narrative and theme. It's there. You just have to look for it. And speaking of themes, there are some very interesting choices that were embedded into the film. And I had sent you a message prior to our review, and I asked if you were familiar with gothic fiction. And there's a reason for that, and that's because I'm not sure if this was writer Teresa Sutherland's doing or the director herself, but the use of gothic fiction was a choice used throughout the film. And that chosen, I don't know, a thematic element, if you're borrowing thematic elements from gothic literature, chances are there's a reason for other than just style. It has probably a lot to do with understanding the story as a whole. What really happened? Did Lizzie have a psychotic break or was she truly being plagued by demons? The answers are there, as I said. And another clue is the use of gothic fiction. And one way to extrapolate, you know, meaning or thematic intent is to understand the literature that was used as guidance for the story and plot. So there were two pieces of gothic literature that I pinpointed, Clint. Okay. Mm hmm. One being Anne Ratcliffe's The Mysteries of Udolfo. And the second, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which I'm sure you've heard of that. Mm -hmm. Both, in my opinion, are fantastic pieces of literature. Uh, I'm a big fan of gothic literature and the Penny Dreadful. So I picked up on this pretty quickly. Uh, These stories are old and many filmmakers do, in fact, gravitate to themes utilized in gothic fiction. Number one, they're just revered. They weren't revered in that time when they were being written in the 1700s and early 1800s. They weren't revered. In fact, a good way to compare them, Clint, or a good comparison would be how many viewed spaghetti westerns in the 60s and how people view spaghetti westerns now. Oh, sure, sure. It was shite. It was lowbrow, low art. Ugh, pity dreadfuls. Ooh, these are just these are like for idiots. These are for the, the masses. Us intellectuals would never read these novels. But two centuries later, they are studied in schools. Uh, they are admired by filmmakers and other so-called intellectuals uh, because of the because of 
the many themes that is worked or embedded within the story. And I'm not saying that all Gothic fiction was, was, was good. It's just like spaghetti. It's just like spaghetti Westerns. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I think it's right on par with the uh, spaghetti Westerns. We've covered a few of them. Yes, exactly on par with spaghetti Westerns for every 40 shitty spaghetti Westerns. You have one brilliant. <laughs> I mean, there is no in between with spaghetti Westerns. And I kind of find that to be true when it comes to Gothic fiction for every, you know, 40 some stories, whether it be a novella or a full uh, novel, you're going to find one that is just brilliant. And Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Anne Ratcliffe's works for the most part is pretty good. Uh, these stories, as I said, are used in a lot of TV and films. Uh, the mysteries of Udolfo was written by Anne Ratcliffe and was published in four volumes back in 1794. And Holy is shit. still, yeah, still relevant to this day uh, for many of the things that she put in her, her story. Uh, the mysteries of Udolfo follows the fortunes of Emily St. Albert, who suffers among other misadventures, the death of her father, supernatural terrors, in a gloomy, lonely castle. Okay. Also, uh, use of this novel plays a prominent role. And this is the interesting part here. Okay. It was also used in a satirical aspect in Jane Austen's novel, North Anger Abbey. Where a young woman who's influenced after reading Ratcliffe's novel. She becomes very impressionable. And she starts to see her friends and acquaintances as gothic villains from Ratcliffe's novel. So I'm gathering that we shouldn't let females read. Yeah, their imaginations just run way too wild. <laughs> we just, you know, the, the, the Saudis have had it right for the last 400 years. Seems dangerous. You, you, you bitches don't read, okay? <laughs> Sit yourself down because niche. Yeah, things get crazy after you read. Crazy. Maybe if their husbands were such a dull bores, maybe they wouldn't have to. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, man. Yeah. So just that alone, looking at the mysteries of Adolfo, you quickly see, okay, well, this lends a bit of credence to the fact that it was psychosis, that it was the influence of loneliness combined with reading of fictitious you know larger than life stories and suddenly lizzie on the prairie is uh is experiencing the supernatural but in reality it may just be a form of psychosis and loneliness and that's one clue that you could glean from this source of inspiration there are some contradictions and i feel like Emma Tammy, who, by the way, if she's single, holler at me, please send me a tweet at Michael underscore Flores. <laughs> so stupid. I'm not intimidated by women that read. Please read. So stupid. <laughs> Teach me to be smarter. <laughs> so stupid. So um, where That's was funny. I? I got, I got you distracted. Got really, you got really lost there, didn't you? Yeah, I swiped you're thinking, right. You're thinking of that one one night that they had. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, again, we can see the similarities here um, with Lizzie and, of course, Emma reading the demons of the prairie leaflet combined with isolation and loneliness. She starts to imagine things possibly. That's one way to look at things. Now, Mary Shelley's 
Frankenstein is filled with relevant issues that formed many a debate over the last 200 years. And it was very relevant for its time. And it has been heralded by modern feminists for its messages. Uh, the book is a, really a dialogue. According to some, they say the book is really a dialogue between reactionary and progressive points of views at that time. Um, but we're not going to get in all that. I only want to focus on the aspects related to the film. And we're going to focus on Shelley's maternal guilt. For those that have really studied Mary Shelley's work, specifically Frankenstein, many critics think the novel is shaped by the tragic events in Shelley's own life. Her mother died days after she was born, and Shelley herself, this is where it could be connected, lost her child, born prematurely. So the first feminist interpretation of Frankenstein was by Ellen Moores, who read Shelley's novel as a sublimated afterbirth. So we get really crazy with some of these uh, thoughts in, when it comes to feminist beliefs. But that alone, Shelley's maternal guilt. This was a big part of the movie. A big part. And the next thing, the next aspect that people can glean from Shelley's work in Frankenstein Frankenstein is the postnatal depression. Okay. That's another aspect. The loneliness, and not to mention the loneliness of Frankenstein's monster. When I say postnatal depression, people will, might say, well, Victor was not a, a, a male. Oh, not a female. He was a male. How did he give birth to anybody? You know, Frankenstein didn't give birth to anyone. But if you understand the story of, of Frankenstein, the story in, among many other things, it is about the creation of life. And there are various passages in the book, in the novel, where Dr. Frankenstein refers to himself as a father and creator of a child. Mm. And he regrets what he's done. Uh, he's consumed with arrogance. Yes, that's very clear. And that's why he, he gets the fate he does or he lives through the fate that he has. That doesn't make sense. That's why his fate is what it is. There we go. That's the better way of saying it. But there is that depression that comes with the creation of a life. Uh, again, the loneliness of Frankenstein's monster and his yearning for belonging, acceptance and companionship. We saw that with Emma, you know, yearning to belong. She wanted acceptance from Lizzie. She wanted companionship among her husband's dick as well. But yeah. hey, hey. <laughs> Listen, Emma was attractive. I would have, I would have been okay with it. So she, she seemed a little more crazy than the uh, other crazy one. Oh, she, Emma was a keeper. Emma was a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, come on, Lizzie, come on now. Now looking at these key elements. Okay, really fast. Did, did you get the idea that he did her Lizzie's husband did in fact cheat, or do you feel like it was more of the same thing? Going at it from the psychosis aspect. You know what? No. Let's say psychosis or demonic influence, because I think either or could fit into the equation. Did he sleep with Emma and have a child or. Was it simply more psychosis on Lil Lily's Lizzie's part, whether it be demonic or brought well, on by loneliness? That that this is where I'm confused, because I was just going to ask you about this, because she gets a book and doesn't she read in there about him? Or is that just her it's a diary? That, it's the Emma's diary. diary. Yeah, it's Emma's yeah. diary she's reading. And that's where really, I got confused. Yes. And 
I feel like at that moment, Emma is fucking with them. Her husband didn't really come off that way. If you really look at some of his. No, he seemed body, very uh, straight. Uh, straight's not the word I'm looking for. No. Yeah. Straight and narrow a bit. Yeah. Like yeah. He, yeah. Yeah, he did. Especially when Emma started feeding him water or like hand feeding him, you know, spoon feeding him water. He looked kind of taken back. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't welcoming. It was uncomfortable for him. Yeah. So I, I feel like it never happened that it was part of the. I want to say downward spiral into confusion. Did Emma write it? Yeah, she did. And I feel like she wanted to create chaos because yeah, she was crazy. And she was also uh, have under some type of influence, whether it be psychosis brought on by loneliness or uh, demonic influence, who knows? But the reason why I'm leaning towards it being truly demonic influence is because the way it affected both ladies, the way it latched onto both of them, I feel like one woman going crazy over loneliness. Okay. Two women being crazy over loneliness, but then you have that other aspect where you can say, or that other perspective. I'm like, okay, well, a lot of this is being shown to us through Lizzie's perspective for all, all we know, Emma didn't act like this at all. Do you get what I'm saying? We never actually saw Emma alive. Everything we saw was through Lizzie's recollections. Yep. Yep. So for all we know, None of that even happened. Emma didn't act like that. And maybe Lizzie wrote the diary in some state of, you know, craziness. Or, you know, like I was. Another thought was that she. We do see it through Lizzie's eyes and maybe Emma did tell her that her and. uh, Her husband had an affair or something. Right. Because that's kind of another when she's out there with the shotgun and she's talking to, to Lizzie about Emma's talking to Lizzie and she's got the gun and she tells her it could be us three. And, you know, you just go, wait a minute. What, what, what? (laughs) So like you, perfect example is what you just said is that we're only seeing it through Lizzie's eyes. So maybe that made her go over overboard even more. Right. Yes, exactly. So looking at these key elements, it makes you wonder if the events in the wind were, in fact, just figments of her own imagination brought on by a form of psychosis. Uh, Sutherland's writing is superb, in my opinion, and Emma Tammy's direction was top notch and both worked so well together. There was a fluidity that made for a very cohesive gothic style horror western you know, using the Western as a backdrop, but the utilization of the Gothic archetypes made for, again, in my opinion, a very unique Western film that was that we, I should say, so sorely miss or or, I should say that we are so sorely missing. Mm -hmm. I feel like this might be one of the most unique Westerns I have ever watched. And that's saying a lot because I've watched a lot, (laughs) (laughs) a lot. Now, there are clues that could lend credence to the notion that the events were real. And there was in fact, not just one demon, but a pantheon of demons that dwelled within the prairie. If you look at the list of demons in the leaflet, you will notice that every demon on the list could have had a hand or influence over some of the events that befell Mm. Lizzie and Emma. I did feel like, 
Yes. And it wasn't just, and I know Emma was trying to make it out to be like there was a singular, a singular demon. If there was, it was a singular influence, but we didn't just see a singular influence. We saw various supernatural events at different times. And I feel like each one was a different demon. Uh, The wolves outside the man standing outside the home where we just saw a silhouette. We didn't see the person possibly Emma herself. Then we, of course we had the Reverend. We saw various supernatural elements at different times. And rather than assuming we saw the same demon repeatedly, I feel like she was actually being attacked by an entire pantheon of demons. Sure. That list was our clue of what is actually going on. Now, if you look at, I have the list here in front of me because I screenshotted it. I feel like it's important. Okay, so there's different demons here, according to this film, that dwell on the prairie. (laughs) Okay, number one is the invoker of fear, Agramon, which is one of the names that Emma actually was reciting. Okay, the invoker of fear, which we saw that. We saw that a lot of them started to... get afraid of things around them that were almost uh, characteristically odd. Like this is a woman that's been living on the prayer her entire life. They've been out here for a very long time. And suddenly now she is becoming afraid. Now, yes, we find out that she has seen things and heard things throughout her entire stay. But suddenly the invocation of fear has occurred. Then we have uh, Ariok, the bringer of vengeance. Uh, Babel, I believe is how you say it. Keeper of graves, eater of bones, bearer of unhallowed ground. Uh, Balban, the invader of weak mind, uh, bringer of delusions. That was definitely an element in this film. That's why I'm saying it's a little bit of both. Was there a form of psychosis? Yes, but was it brought on by demonic influence? Then you have Beliar, the prince of trickery, Satan's right hand. We saw that a lot. Uh, you have uh, Klishert, the confuser. This is the most interesting part for me. Changer of night and day, manipulator of time. Mm. How many times did we see in the movie where she would run inside and it would feel seemingly like just a few seconds passed and suddenly it's dark? Or you go from morning to dusk. That's not continuity issues. There were some people writing online on different blogs in the comment section saying that the continuity was shoddy, that there would be moments where you would have a day shot and then suddenly it's evening. And I'm like, that's that's purposely done. Direct. Do you honestly think the the work that we that we can discern from Emma's work? Do you honestly think she would make a mistake like that? (laughs) She wouldn't. It's purposely done. So that's one big thing that sticks out. The changer of night and day and the manipulator of time, which also I feel works in tandem with the pacing and the narrative choices of the nonlinear story where we go from one. There is no three years later, eight years later. There's no moments before it's here's a scene. All of a sudden we're in the past. And I feel like there is a bit of a jarring confusion for a half a second, maybe four or five seconds. We're trying to figure out, okay, okay, we're in the past now. What happened? And some people attribute that to bad pacing. I attribute that to purposely done. 
And I feel like she was playing around a little bit meta here, you know, using the fact that, hey, this demon is the confuser, changer of night and manipulator of time. And I'm going to do that with my script. I'm going to make sure people feel that jarring, I guess, displacement for a moment. I like that. And then we have the demon of falsehood, seductress, indicator uh, or indication of death. Okay, that's Emma. I'm not saying she is a demon, but I'm saying they might have used her. Jezebeth might have worked through Emma. Uh, Mara, dammer of souls, twist the minds of men, leading them away from the Lord of God. I feel like that was what was playing with her husband, refusing to allow him to see what was happening and leading him astray, not believing or listening to his wife. Mirith, prince of pestilence, bringer a disease. Wouldn't uh, the 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 disease? Oh no, he the baby was stillborn, right? Is that what happened to the baby? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, it's also bringer of death, so it doesn't have to necessarily be pertaining to pestilence. Now, let me go back to the top of the list because I feel like this sets the entire tone. Abaddon, the destroyer, bring forth an army of locusts. Now, we already know what the locusts do. Locusts destroy and eat up everything in its sight, all life. Nothing can live where locusts reside. They leave, they fly to the next area, and everything is dead. They're horrible for people that uh, that grow or are in charge of crops, farmers, and whatnot. That's kind of what the prairie is. It's a place of death. Life can't live. Babies are not able to be born and people commit suicide and die. Look at all the grave sites. So there's a lot at work here. Now, going back to um, Sokor Henoth, bringer of jealous thoughts. That was a major aspect. And honestly, the catalyst for the death of several of our characters, Emma uh, Lizzie ultimately killing her husband. Did she kill him? I assume we, I, I'm assuming whether you think this is supernatural or, or reality based. I think most of us can agree. She did in fact kill her husband. Uh, so you have the bringer of jealous thoughts. So there's a lot of things. Again, I would have to watch this movie another two times to really break it down and see if I can attach every single demon on this list. And maybe every demon is an awe in this film. However, I feel like there's a good four or five that you can definitely attach to various elements in the movie. In fact, those four or five, I believe we saw them at one point in the film, whether you knew what you were seeing or not. Uh, there was a lot of scenes, the way they were set up, framed, executed. They were designed in a way that the audience saw things that Lizzie did not at times, and that's why I feel again, this may in fact be a supernatural Western and not just simply Lizzie being crazy. Typically, in films where the events are in the mind of the character, a director pays careful attention to perception or perceived, uh, perceived point of view. Okay, for the sake of argument, we can assign let's assign POV1 to Lizzie, and the audience will be POV2. Okay, Emma's ghost, for example. Following Lizzie across the prairie. Yeah, which was really well shot, by the way. I loved it. And it gave me a little bit of a jump scare. Well, they they purposely, the part that I loved about that, that what was it, maybe not even a minute, two minutes? Mm -hmm. But you just see her for a while. And they've got it so far that you, you're following her. And then, boom, there's Emma. I right. was like, that. As creepy as it is, it's a beautiful shot. Well done shot. Yeah. 
you're absolutely right. And it is, it is intentional as well. It's not just for the jump scares. As I was saying, I feel like it's proof or evidence that these events were ever, were actually happening because if that was a form of psychosis, the director would have probably chosen to keep everything within Lizzie's point of view through Lizzie's experience. We see things unfold, but there are a lot of moments where the director takes liberties with events. And many times it is just for us, the audience, like when Emma follows Lizzie, Lizzie doesn't see it. What benefit is it to have Lizzie not see what's following her. It's for our benefit. And typically when you're dealing, if you go back and watch movies pertaining to uh, some form of psychosis or, or mental break, typically when things aren't really there, the director's very careful to make sure that they show that in some way. A good example would be fight club. Mm -hmm. And that's how the same, you can say the same thing. You can see the same elements I should say in this film, there's another aspect when the silhouette of a man stands outside Lizzie Lizzie's home. Lizzie didn't see it. We saw it. Why was there a silhouette? If it was Lizzie's mind, why would Emma Tammy choose to let the audience see something that doesn't affect Lizzie? Yes. You can say mood and tone and scares, but Emma isn't about cheap jump scares and cheap scare tactics. I think she's a little beyond that. I feel like if you watch this movie, you would agree that I don't think she's going to go for something as, as menial and cheap as, Oh, it's for us. It's to get us scared. No, I feel like there was a perspective switch for a reason. She's trying to show the audience that there is possibly a demonic influence. And it's not just simply in Lizzie's mind. Well, the one part that I thought was interesting is when the Reverend comes around and she sees him dead. And then she runs into her husband and he says, I just talked to him. And you go, wait a minute, what? And that's where I, I, I love this film because you can interpret a lot of this again, any way you want. And I think that scene right there where she sees the dead Reverend and she's kind of freaked out. She starts wandering the earth like Cain runs into her husband and he's like, no, I just, I just talked to him. In other words, he's not dead. So it's, it's kind of cool because they play on that a little bit. It's not, it's not, it's not full in your face. I think it's just enough to keep you, well, definitely guessing on, on how this all is going to unfold. And again, I only saw it once. So I think I am going to have to go back and see it after our review here because there's a lot of things I'm picking up that I really want to see again to see how it matches and flows with it. Yeah. I didn't even think about that part until you mentioned it about the husband and how he saw the reverend. And that can be interpreted various different ways. You know, was the demon actually just taking on the the body of the reverend was he tricking lizzie so that he can drive her crazy was he trying to nudge her to kill her husband you know after they already drove her to kill emma and possibly even maybe had some responsibility in killing the babies we will never know but yes i i don't feel like it's as straightforward as people think and yes i think probably the majority of the audiences will probably at the end of the movie, they'll probably say, oh, so it was all in her head. 
<laughs> but I and, and you know what? And I wouldn't call them stupid for that. I would be like, OK, that's I, that makes sense. Your interpretation makes sense. But if you dig deeper and you really look for those supernatural clues, I am going to say uh, let's just get into that part, Clint. I'm going to say this is a real weird Western. This is uh, a Western dealing with the demons of the prairie. Yeah. And I'm with you because I. I did catch up on a lot of that, and I did say a joke to you offline or off air about it. But <laughs> what did you I, say? What was when I said, Clint? Did you like the movie? What did you say? I said, I said, yeah, it's about two lonely, two lonely bitches out on the prairie. <laughs> I think something like that. But what I, <laughs> yeah, what I'm trying to say is that. Uh, is I'm not really that way, but it was funny. Um, Listen, I understand. Yeah. I, I was going to send this review over to Emma Tammy's uh, representation, her production house, and see what they have to say about a review. But now I'm going to have to change course very quickly. Yeah. No, I. All kidding aside, I, I the, the cool part about this is when you do watch it, and even if you watch it for the first time, I think anybody who is going to see this like you and I, I saw a mixture of everything. Uh You saw the, the, uh, the occult part of it or Mm -hmm. the, you know, and stuff like that. And somebody else could see something else that makes a good flick when you can watch something and you, and you have three, four different, uh, opinions on what's going on. I think that's cool. I think the, the director and writer did it. The, a fantastic job as far as is making everybody guess a little bit. And that's, that's cool. And and part of it is even like as little kids, when, when you're out in the woods, when it's really dark out, you hear a lot of shit. And that's the fun part about this movie is with the wind and the everything going kind of crazy after a while, you just go, that's kind of the scare. I like where it's kind of a mental scare. Like you said, you you jumped a few times, and that's cool. I like that. It's really well written. Yeah i I'm happy you liked it, and you brought up the wind element. That's I mean, if you have a movie titled The Wind, and they continually say, "Do you hear the wind? It's talking." You better it's have saying some wind. things. <laughs> you better you better use that as a sound design element. And it was fantastic. I love the use of it. If you know, I I just I'm a big fan of the use of anthropomorphism. You know, giving you know human characteristics or behavior to an object of sorts, and that's pretty much what they did. It's just it's just a smart movie. I mean, the cinematography yep. was amazing. Uh, there were frames within a frame. Uh, re- revisionist Westerns. This is a revisionist Western in its most truest sense. They take the wide open shots that many times are symbols of freedom uh, and exploration and turn them into scenes of isolation, You know, reversing the effects to almost a type of, I guess, a type of phobia of being alone. Uh, maybe autophobia, you could say. Oh, there you go. It's It's... It's a smart movie, and whether it's a supernatural or a standard Western that deals with a woman's uh, descent into the crazy, I don't think that really matters. The fact is that the movie did exactly what it was, exactly what it sought to do. Now, the critical response on this film on the review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes, the win holds an approval rating of 80%. 
uh, which I was surprised, honestly, because Rotten Tomatoes is usually out there. 80 percent is not that bad of a review. That's actually pretty, pretty good. Uh, it's consensus reads imperfect yet intriguing. The win offers horror fans an admirably ambitious story uh, further distinguished by its fresh perspective and effective scares. Uh, on Metacritic, the film has a weighted average score of 66 out of 100. So people aren't hating it, which I'm happy. I know there were, um, which makes me happy. I should. Yeah. Which makes me happy. <laughs> As I said, when I was going through hashtags and, and social media, unfortunately, you know, because I follow a lot of the, the typical geek blogs, they were kind of hating on it. And I feel like it's just it's not their cup of tea. It's not really their demographic. So I expect Sci-Fi Channel to hate on it. I expect, you know, the Nerdist to hate on it. But yeah. I don't expect filmmaking websites to hate on it. I kind of knew. I was like, you know what? All the go-to filmmaking sites are going to love this movie, and sure enough, the majority of them did. I love the plot keys on IMDb, though. Horror Western, Folk Horror, Isolation, Home Birth, and Demon. Home Birth? Yeah. That's before <laughs> Demon. <laughs> Wait, that's a tag on IMDb? Yeah, it's plot keys. Horror, yeah, you... Folk Horror, Isolation, Home Birth, Demon. Can you imagine if you were trying to look for a movie to watch? You're like, home birth, demon horror. What the hell is this? Yeah. He's so I just confused. Kinda, it made me kind of laugh when I saw that. I was like, oh, okay. Home birth. Is, I can't remember the last time I looked up home birth to check out a movie. How about home abortion? Is that a tag on there? Yeah. It's, I, I didn't click on see, see the rest, but. <laughs> is that a thing? Home abortion? It might be. Pretty soon. We keep going down the road. We're going, oh, politics. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into our final thoughts and, uh, and our own new rating system. We are changing our rating systems oh, across the board. Uh, we used to do on this show shots of whiskey. How many shots of whiskey do you give this movie? But in order to create more cohesiveness across the network with our various other shows that we do because we as a network review tv shows and tons of other movies we decided to change our system to give a better snapshot of how we view about certain movies now quickly i'm going to go through this our score system breakdown is as follows one through 40 percent equals get fisted it's thumbs down it's not good it's a sucky movie uh, a good example would be like Hellboy uh, 41 to 70 percent is it's a movie thumb sideways, kind of like the gladiator. These movies or episodes range from quite likable for select audiences. Not bad. A generally inoffensive. It's a movie. Eh, it's not bad. 71 to 90 percent is hell. Yeah. Thumbs up. Generally good movies, episodes. It may be not completely perfect, but it doesn't take away from the enjoyment. Great dramas, good summer blockbuster films, or good westerns. Things mm. like that. Uh, 91 to 100% equals kick-ass horns. <laughs> Near universal acclaim once every five years, according to my uh, one of my hosts that wrote this. When the planets align and the gods deem us worthy, a movie episode of this caliber will grace us. All right. All right. So let's, we're not going to change our setting. Okay, we're still going to go into the saloon. So let's kick open those double doors. Mm -mm. 
Let's look out for the dead babies. Well, and we're very happy to be here in population town. Yeah, yes. And and Emma's happy as well because she's following us in, even though she's dead. The ghost of Emma has followed us in Or are she's we, hot. Or are we really in the saloon? We, oh, oh, look at look you. Look at this. Getting all art house with our review. We're so <laughs> confused right now. Are we really doing a review right now? Yeah. Or is it just our own mental breakdown? I don't even Unable know if you're to there, deal with man. the realities of life. All right. So I may take some shots of whiskey, and or I may not. Or take some laudanum. Isn't that what she took? Oh, that's right. To pass out. Yeah. Uh, let's get rid of their husbands, though. We don't want that. They wouldn't want some stinky dicks <laughs> messing up our potential game here. Yeah. Lizzie and Emma. All right, ladies. I don't know why I said that. but the Reverend uh, there's not, I was going to say service up some drinks, but just because they're coming in with us doesn't mean they're going to service drinks. Is that how it works? <laughs> Do you ever go out on a night in a town with your wife? You're like, all right, honey, I want uh, the steak and uh, the uh, beer on tap. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't happen that way. All right. So let's uh, figure this out here. What percentage okay so what let me clarify what we're gonna do you give it a percentage i give it a percentage and then we go with the average and that's the rating for the review as a whole okay all right all right so plant give it to me what do you give this movie i'm actually gonna get a bit 80 percent due to the right. rewatch factor for me and i because i loved it the first time so i okay. and i and i could see it again so i i would have to Go with the eighty percent. Okay, I'm gonna give this movie. You know what? I'm gonna give it a ninety percent. Oh, so we're in. The, yeah, I know where we're at. Yeah, I'm gonna give this movie a ninety percent. Let me do the math here real fast. How would I average this? Ninety plus eighty divided by two. Is that how I do that? Yeah, look at me yeah. knowing math. <laughs> My mother would be so you proud. I didn't speak up. Uh, this movie would be an 85% here at Weird West Radio. Oh, an 85% yeah. here at Weird West Radio. Look at us. How do you like that? I do like the wind. The wind. Weird West Radio gives the wind 85%. All right. So that concludes this week's discussion on Weird West Radio. I want to thank you, Clint, for piping in every once in a while with some misogynistic jokes. I thank you for that. Hey, one of us has got to do it. Am I right? And if any of you ladies out there are offended, I will give you his um, address <laughs> uh, on, on the DL. Just send me yeah. a DM and I will forward his address to you so you can uh, send him some hate mail. Des Moines, okay? Iowa. Yeah. L- look at Clint welcoming it. Well, he's welcoming the challenge. Yeah. Des Moines, Iowa. Just yeah. look around there. <laughs> All right. I want to thank everybody for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, as well as Spotify. Just search Weird West Radio. And good night. Or said he be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. You can go to hell, hell, hell. <laughs> <laughs>